Hey guys, welcome back to Nomad Wolf. You're listening to episode 11 with Destination Retreat Builder, Linda Beach. You need to put a stake in the ground. You've obviously, you need to be brave enough to start talking about it well before you actually do it. So I gathered my kids around the dinner table. It was Thanksgiving. So this Thanksgiving will be four years. And I said, so guess what? I think I'm going to sell the school and move to Belize. And by the way, I had never been to Belize at that time. (laughs) And my kids were like, what are you talking about? Ever fallen into the comparison trap? You might be left wondering how some people were able to create that largely disruptive company, collaborate with this incredible brand, or just simply monetize their passions right off of their laptop from God knows where. You're left inspired and hungrier than ever to create a business that will give you access to your unique version of freedom. But the only question is, how? My name is Glenn Gabriel, and this is the Nomad Wolf Podcast, a show that features creators, game changers, rule breakers, trendsetters, pretty much anyone around the world with the appetite to challenge the status quo. Behind their successes and failures, we dive into their stories filled with actionable advice and growth hacks that aim to equip location-independent minds everywhere so that they can answer their own life's question by constantly exploring their potential. We hope you find what you've been looking for or what's been looking for you. I teach people how to create more time and money freedom in their businesses and in their lives. And my focus these days is on how to design, how to plan a destination retreat, because it's my very favorite way to fuel my own freedom lifestyle. So I want to share that passion with others. And, um, Before we get into all of that really good stuff, where are you currently based out of right now? That's a great question. I actually wrote a blog post about this recently. I think the title of the blog post was Homeless Entrepreneur or Digital Nomad because I travel pretty much full time. Um, And we'll talk probably more about that and how I got into that. But people kept asking me as I'm like, where do you live? And I would kind of go, uh wherever I want to at the moment. (laughs) So I actually have decided to land in the Atlanta, Georgia area for right now, just because it's a great place to network. And I have a lot of friends here and the airport is easily accessible and flights are cheap. So travel's my jam. And I want to be somewhere near an airport that I can just hop on a plane and hit the road whenever I feel like it. Perfect. I I know what you mean by having somewhat of a close home base and then being able to travel. So before we get into your business right now, let's talk about your businesses prior. I believe from what I read about you in your bio, you're somewhat of a serial entrepreneur. You had like 10 to 13 businesses, is right? <laughs> yeah, absolutely. I have, I have founded at least 13 businesses, probably more, but I've been an entrepreneur pretty much my entire adult life. I realized early on that I didn't want to punch a time clock for anyone else. I hated that. I just was always a rebel around that. So I started my first business in my early 20s. And I would start a business. I'd work in it for a while. I I wouldn't say I'd get tired of it. I would just want something different. I would sell that business and start something else. So my I'd say my biggest, most successful um, entrepreneurial journey was in the spa industry. So in the early 90s, I opened 
a massage therapy clinic and I started teaching massage and spa techniques to people in the industry. And then in 1998, I moved to South Carolina and I opened a massage and aesthetic school because I just am so passionate about teaching other people. And I, and I wanted to teach them how they could create a business around in the spa industry. So I eventually opened three schools in South Carolina. I had dozens of employees. I opened a couple of spas during that time. Um, so yeah, I, <laughs> I've done a I've had a lot of businesses. So yeah, serial entrepreneur. And so how long again were you in the spa business for? So probably 28 years, I think. Oh, wow. if I, you know, I, I consider myself still being in that industry. I wrote a textbook. Um, I still go to industry events. I actually, what I'm doing now is working with spa owners and massage therapists on how they can create retreats for their clients and their, and their people. Mm. You're, you're merging the two. Uh, yeah, why not? Yeah. I mean, I still, I mean, I love, I, I'm a spa junkie. So whenever I travel, that's the first thing I look for <laughs> is where can I go get a spa or get a massage? I'm sure that you have probably a lot of really cool massage places where you live and really cheap oh, yeah. too. Yeah. Thailand. Um, get a massage like maybe at, well, at least once a week. It, it's a very nice reset to have. And Absolutely. It's, fu it's funny because whenever I travel with my mates, we always take well, could you live here? And then one of the things is just like, well, they don't really have like cheap massages. <laughs> <laughs> it's it's such a it's such a nice thing in in Thailand. So legend has it after you know the 20, 26, 28 years um, of being in the spa business, you decided to sell it right and and give away all your belongings. It sounds very millennial. I quit my job and uh, moved to Bali or something like that. I know. And for a woman in my age bracket, it was really, that's why I said I started a program around bravery because my friends were like, are you nuts? I mean, here I had this successful school at the time. So this three and a half years ago, I had sold two schools. I was down to one. I was trying to downsize over the years because it was just too much. I mean, you know, there's this thing where we're taught we have to keep growing and getting more and accumulating more. And then that just kept feeling heavier and heavier. So I got to this place where, and any type of change is, is fueled by either a sense of longing or discontent. And I was at a place in my life where I had this tremendous longing. I wasn't particularly discontent. I mean, I didn't hate my job. I loved my school and my business, but I wanted something more. I wanted more freedom because as a brick and mortar entrepreneur, you know, I had to be there all the time. And if I wasn't, I had to trust whoever was there running my business. So I just got this crazy idea. I actually been thinking about it for a long time to move to the Caribbean somewhere. I'm a big scuba diver. I love the Caribbean. So I studied um, which country would be best. And because my Spanish is no bueno, I was thinking, <laughs> I'm thinking you know, Belize, English speaking. Uh, mas o menos. <laughs> Exactly. I'm like, okay, well, wait a minute. Belize has, you know, Caribbean, they speak English. So funny story how this evolved, because this is something I teach people is when you make up your mind to do something, you need to put a stake in the ground. You've obviously, you need to be brave enough to start talking about it well before you actually do it. So I gathered my kids around the dinner table. It was Thanksgiving. So this Thanksgiving will be four years. And I said, so guess what? I think I'm going to sell the school and move to Belize. And by the way, I had never been to Belize at that time. Oh my <laughs> and my gosh. kids were like, 
what are you talking about? Like, who's going to buy your school? And why are you, and what do you, you know, you live, I, at the, I was living on a beautiful island called Defusky Island near Hilton Head Island. And they're like, you live in this beautiful place, you know, surrounded by nature. Why would you go to Belize? And I just thought, you know, because I want to, it's, it's just, I want to do, I want to have an adventure. So I didn't know who was going to buy my business. And that was on a Thursday, Thanksgiving in the U.S. The following Monday, my middle daughter who worked at my school as one of my aesthetics instructors, she went to school and big mouth blabbed to my receptionist. Hey, I think my mom's going to sell the school, um, but I'm going to talk her into giving it to me. <laughs> so my receptionist is a, such a tattletale. She comes upstairs and she says, are you get, selling the school? Are you giving it to, to Chrissy? And I said, um, well, definitely I'm not giving it to Chrissy, you know, <laughs> I am thinking about selling it. Don't tell anybody. It's just a secret, you know, if, in case you know anybody, just a secret. And she looked me square in the eye. I kid you not. This was literally three days after I announced it. She said, I want to buy your business. Oh, and, I, wow. and I said, I mean, no offense, you know, you're, you're a sweet young lady, but do you have the means to buy my business? Do you have any idea how much I want for my business? And she said, I will figure it out. And I told her to come back in a week and make me an offer. And Glenn, I got to be honest with you, I had a number in mind and her offer was three times what I would have taken for the business. Oh my I, hope she's not, I hope she's not listening because <laughs> she, I actually said, that's the perfect number. And we shook hands or we hugged and the following, I made sure that the closing was on leap day because the next February what, leap day is 29th was a leap day and I just felt like I was taking a leap she was taking a leap so we actually timed the closing for leap day and boom that was my freedom lifestyle began uh in that closing on that day and yeah I I love how <laughs> how many things have um when, when people talk about synchronicity and you know the universe kind of just like pushing things along uh, and also the fact that you brought in the metaphor of leap day Yes. And you know, at that time I still had never been to Belize and here I was telling all my neighbors, that's again, you know, putting a stake in the ground, declaring it is the key to manifesting it. So I'm like, I'm moving to Belize. And everybody kept saying, have you ever been there? I'm like, nope. But on my birthday, I booked a plane ticket to Belize to go to three different areas to kind of look around and see what part of Belize I liked, where I might like to live. And during that trip, I actually met a woman you know, just all these synchronicities, who was looking for a house sitter, literally the day I was planning to move to Belize is when she needed somebody to house sit. And that's a great way, by the way, if you're thinking about moving, you know, certainly to another country, house sitting to kind of get the feeling of the area and to look around for the right place to live. That was six weeks that allowed me, you know, for free, that allowed me the freedom to find just the place, which for me had to be oceanfront, right on the Caribbean. I, you know, I, it was third floor penthouse in this great little condo in Ambergris Key. So it all just worked out and getting rid of my stuff, if you're listening and you're wanting to create more freedom in your life and downsize, it wasn't easy. Actually, I think that was harder than moving to a country I'd never, you know, where I didn't know anybody. But I just, you know, you just take it one step at a time and start unloading things and selling things and giving things away. And before you know it, I was down to three suitcases. I took my dog and off we went. Wow. <laughs> Linda, I got to I gotta applaud you. That, <laughs> that's <laughs> awesome. <laughs> <laughs> thank you. Thank you. So with a, with a change like that, 
I mean, I bet there's so much to unpack. I mean, literally, you, you know, you had to give away a bunch of your stuff and unpack, I guess, your, your old life um, and then go through the change into the new one. And following that, physically, emotionally, spiritually, mentally, you're going through all these different things. What were some of the biggest takeaways that you had during that, during that change? Well, once you put something that big into motion, it's like being on a roller coaster. You kind of can't get off. You just have to wake up every day. Is that, is that a good thing or a bad thing? <laughs> oh, Depends if you like roller coasters, right? Uh, yeah, well, you don't even have to like roller coasters. But I'm going to tell you, once you declare something and you put it into motion, if you don't keep going, you're never going to realize your dreams. And, I, and so that's why I have people do the visioning, writing out your vision in vivid detail. Because there were days when I was scared to death. I woke up and I thought, what am I doing? I remember one day I'm on the floor of my house. I just, I was like, I can't do this. My daughters came over to help me, you know, get rid of some things and donate some things. And of course, take as much as they wanted to their house. But I was literally, I'm like, I can't do this. I can't do this. And there's a song from Frozen that's like, let it go or something. And they were dancing around and singing and was just like, let it go. And reminding me that if I wanted this dream to happen, I had to let go of my physical, the things that no longer serve me. I had to let go of the fears that no longer serve me. You have to go through what I call the gap, which is this really big ravine full of alligators and sharks or whatever. And you have to figure out how to get across that to get to the other side. And that includes facing a lot of fear. So when I got to a place where I was scared or, you know, usually it was fear because it was going into the unknown. I, I mean, I wasn't just moving across the state or across the country. I was moving to Central America to a country where I'd only met like the one lady I was, you know, house sitting for and she wasn't even going to be there. And so I had to keep pulling out my vision that my that I wrote out in detail and rereading it because I would set it three years in in the future and I filled it with feeling and as I'm reading it I was it said things like I'm sitting on my balcony drinking this fresh brewed coffee watching the boats and the sailboats go by and the breeze is gently blowing in my face and the sun is shining and I feel so alive and I'm so grateful. So I kept reading and repeating that because that's what I wanted to manifest. That's what I wanted to experience. So yeah, you just got to keep taking a step in the direction of your dream every day. Some days are going to be harder than others, but you just keep going. <laughs> I love it. So you're in Belize now. How did Freedom Lifestyle Today come about? Okay, I got to tell you something first real quick. The second day I was in Belize, the lady I was house sitting for left the country to go back home, okay. um, visit her parents, and a major hurricane blew through. Oh, man. <laughs> I had no electricity. Here I was like, woohoo, I'm going to create my freedom lifestyle and work for my laptop. And there was no electricity, no internet. It was crazy. The whole island was just trash. So that's the, was, that's the roller coaster drop right there. <laughs> yeah, welcome, welcome to Belize. But I'll tell you, when you go through something like that, people pull together. I was out driving around in my little golf cart, meeting neighbors and meeting. So it was actually a way, and I'm from Miami originally, hurricane no biggie to me. <laughs> so, you know, I was like, okay, let's see where I can help. And it, it allowed me to go out and start making friends. So it wasn't, a, it wasn't a bad thing. But to answer your question, my original business was called a passionate dream life. I mean, I was thinking like, what should I call my freedom lifestyle business? Well, I'm creating this passionate dream life. So I'm just going to call it that. 
And so that eventually morphed into Freedom Lifestyle Today because I realized what I wanted to help people do is to create something today, not 10 years from now. I talked to so many people, especially you know, women say over 35 that are saying, well, you know, I'm going to create more freedom, time and money, freedom in my life. Once the kids are grown, or I'm going to do this once this happens or once, you know, once my husband gets a promotion. It's a someday. It's a someday. Yes. And I'm like, you can have it today. And it doesn't have to be as dramatic as moving to a foreign country where you don't know anybody. It can just be figuring out how to work from home or even creating an online business that supplements your nine to five for now, but you have to do something, right? So that's why I created Freedom Lifestyle today. So it started as a coaching program for women to create more bravery. I had a, um, a challenge called Bravery Bootcamp and a quick funny story about that. So I was working with a coach in London. So I've had different coaches for my lifestyle and my coach and my business always. Um, well, since I created my freedom lifestyle and I told her, I'm going to create this online event called bravery bootcamp. And she said, well, like, what's the scariest thing you could ever imagine doing? And I said, well, I'm kind of afraid of heights. So, cause I crashed, a, an ultralight plane when I was 21, different story. But I said, so the scariest thing I could possibly think of is jumping out of an airplane. And she goes, well, you know, you're going to have to do that. And I said, no, I'm not. What are you talking about? And she goes, how can you lead people through bravery boot camp and to do the things that they're afraid of if you can't do the thing you're most afraid of? And I was like, oh, that's a good point. Yeah, she, she got so, you there. Yeah. So the next day, my friends in Belize are like, hey, Linda, what's going on? I'd been there for a little while. And they said, guess what? We're all going skydiving. They didn't know about my conversation. They said, we're all going skydiving next week. You should come. So I did, and I did jump out of a perfectly fine airplane. <laughs> and you're, and you were also perfectly fine after. <laughs> yes, it it gave me so much. I like I felt after that that I could tackle anything. So I guess we were talking about how my business morphed. It's just a matter of again showing up every day, learning new things. I'm like this perpetual student. Uh, because I'm kind of a perfection. Well, no, I'm definitely a perfectionist. I'm working on that, but I, I'm I'm a I'm a lifelong learner. So I want to learn something new and then implement it. Learn something new and implement it. So mm -hmm. I just have to going, and and it's evolved. And that's why I tell people, don't worry about what your business needs to look like five or ten years from now. Quit comparing yourself to the online entrepreneurs that are making seven figures because they all started where you are right now. hundred so percent. Yeah. Just work on where you are and, and create the next thing. Yeah. Um, just out of my curiosity, what did Freedom Lifestyle Today look like in its early inception? Well, it was a uh, good question. So it was a blog and it was, you know, it was me trying to figure it all out. In the last three and a half years, I just follow my passions and I'm like, oh, this sounds fun. I mean, I just did something really brave. So, you know, let me take my coaching and create a program around bravery. So I did that and I coached a group of women and I had a few one-on-one -on -one clients, but I don't lean in toward the one-on-one -on -one client thing because what I'm trying to create is time and money freedom. I don't want to trade dollars for hours. So one-on-one -on -one coaching isn't the best model for that. It reminded me of my early days as a massage therapist where I would go into a room, I would massage someone, I'd get paid for that hour. 
that's not what I'm trying to create. And if you're trying to create more time and money freedom, that might not be what you want to create either. So I wanted to create group coaching programs. So my early um, days were around that, but that's when I started, you know, really focusing on retreats as a way to fuel my freedom lifestyle as well, you know, I can blend it with my coaching. And how did you, how did retreats come about? Did you go to one? Did you stumble across somebody else doing it? That's a great question. Somebody asked me this the other day, and I, why do I love retreats so much? Well, when I was a kid, I was a campaholic. <laughs> I went to camp all the time. And once a month, I went to weekend camp for YMCA. I think my mom wanted to get rid of me and my sister in the summer. So all summer long, we were at either Girl Scout camp or away camp from YMCA. But I love camp. And retreats remind me of camp. Now, I had been going to retreats for years and years and years. Like, I, I don't remember how I found the first one. I think I was, I checked into a resort just to give myself a break. And there was a retreat going on. And I'm like, wait, what is this? You know, now for the last 28 years, I have been creating live events. In my massage school, I would create workshops where I would teach, I would host other um, massage therapists and spa professionals that were doing workshops and I would plan them for others. So I've been a, re I've been an event planner for 30 years. Like that wasn't my primary business, but I probably planned close to 200 events. Some wow. of those were what I would consider retreat worthy. And some of those are what I teach people don't do. If you're going to call it a retreat, you know, more like a workshop is what I was, I focused on. So when I, when I started setting my sights on retreats in the beginning, I was just all about going to them. I want to go on retreat. You know, it was my break from my business as a way to just recharge. And I was fascinated by the concept. So yeah, so gosh, it's probably about 10 years ago that I put together my first, what again, what I call a retreat worthy retreat. <laughs> that wasn't just a workshop, but it, it wasn't, you know, it was a learning experience. It wasn't the most brilliant event I've, I've learned a lot since. Yeah. And I guess going back to that first retreat, what, what did that look like? Well, and, uh, and I, also, sorry to cut you off, but where was it too? So it was on Hilton Head Island in South Carolina, which is where I was living at the time, which is a tip I tell my students is you don't have to go halfway around the world to host your first retreat. If it's a dest any place is a destination, if somebody doesn't necessarily live there. And even though I lived on Hilton Head Island, you know, people were like, wow, I would love to go on retreat there. It's a vacation destination. So why not? It was for me, the place that I, I rented a house a block from the beach and it was like four blocks from my house. So I didn't actually have to stay there. I could just ride my bike, you know, to the house in the morning to get my retreat going. So <clears throat> that's a really good tip is that you can start right in your backyard. But so what did it look like? I designed it around teaching a technique, a massage technique. And because I'm a continuing education provider, I provided continuing education credits for massage therapists. And I told them I was going to teach them hot stone massage. But because I felt like I had to jam pack the entire week with as much information and activities as possible, I even brought in another massage teacher to teach Lomi Lomi. So <laughs> it's everything I teach people not to do now, because what I was hosting was a workshop in a pretty place. And some of the mistakes, well, packing way too much information into what should have been 
a time where people had some downtime and time to ride their bikes around Hilton Head and go kayaking, which we did, but it was just kind of stressful. But let me tell you the worst mistake ever. <laughs> I asked my wonderful mother, who was 75 at the time, She's a great cook. And I said, hey, mom, how would you like to come up and stay in this beautiful house that I rented and cook for my retreat participants three meals a day? <laughs> my mom was like, yeah, that sounds like fun. No, it was not fun, Glenn. It wasn't fun for her. It wasn't fun for me because she's in the kitchen all day long. Like, and you know, your 75-year-old mother, I didn't, she was sweating and stressing. So here oh, I was. Oh, no, poor grandma. I know. I, I, I would teach them like, here's, here's a technique here. You guys practice this. I'll be right back. And I would run into the kitchen and chop vegetables and, and help my mom. And then I'd run back and check on the students. And I did this. Oh, it was, I, I'm still apologizing to my mother. I told her this the other day on the phone. I said, mom, I'm so sorry I did that to you. And she just laughed. She's like, oh yeah, that was a little stressful. And I'm like, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so don't hire your mom to cook. <laughs> I, I wrote that down. <laughs> Yes. And so at the end of that retreat, again, another big mistake. I didn't have a budget. I just was throwing money out there. I didn't, I didn't price the retreat based on anything logical. I just came up with a number that I thought, you know, would cover the house and some of the food. And so I definitely, and then I had to pay the other instructor. So I definitely lost money at the end of the day. And that's no bueno. No, no. you do not want to lose money when you host a retreat. So yeah. I learned a lot. I le they all, they all improved from there. Yeah, your your last retreat is probably the most optimized version of the experience. What are some of the things that you've done to upgrade? Ooh, so all of the all of the above. <laughs> so the number one thing is that I created a plan. Like before I even um, started putting the word out, I laid out a plan, a very detailed plan that had you know all the steps of retreat planning. Like so, I knew ahead of time all of the steps that I need to take in order to bring this dream into fruition. So that was, that was important to get, really get clear so that I didn't miss anything because if you miss something, you could really, um, it could really cost you some money. So I, I made my plan first and then I started working on my budget. So working on your budget involves a lot of research and a lot of time. I'm, I'm going to tell you that planning a retreat isn't something you're going to do in, a, in an evening or even a week. I had, um, I had some help and this gal that I know that's really good at itineraries. Like I love thing, things laid out in an orderly manner, but taking the time to doing all the research isn't really something that lights me up. So I have, and there are people that will do that for you. So what she did was she, I said, here's where I want to host it. And so she would go out and read all the reviews on TripAdvisor and she, she knew what I wanted. So she narrowed down three venues in each location. So this particular one was in Bali. And I said, I want to stay in three different locations on the island of Bali. I had been to Bali before, but there's just Bali's big and there's so many cool things to do. And I figured if people were traveling halfway around the world, because most of my people were coming from the U.S., they don't want to just come there for five days or even a week. I think it was 12 days. They want to see all of it. So she narrowed down the venues to three in each location and then just sent me those three and said, here are the reviews. Here are the three. You know, these are within your budget. And then from there, I chose the top one. So, you know, getting really specific around where I wanted to go and what type of place, you know, and, and having a, 
an idea in mind of what I want to charge was key because, you know, needing to know your tribe and what they'll pay for. So if you're if your tribe or your following are 20 somethings that, you know, don't have a huge budget or single moms or whatever, then you need to keep that in mind. You're not going to throw together a $10,000 retreat in Paris and tell them to all get on the plane. <laughs> you know, that might not be in their budget. So all of yeah. these things to take in mind, how long can they get away and how far they can go away? This particular retreat, um, the, the people that were interested in coming, which I did some groundwork ahead of time, could take that time away. They they planned for it. They took a couple of weeks to go halfway around the world, but that was a big deal. So getting the budget right, you know, understanding um, all the steps that I need, you know, that I needed to put into action and knowing my ideal client and pricing it right, all of those things are key. And then figuring out how to market it because a retreat is typically a big ticket item. Now you can start with a retreat in your backyard. That's just a couple of days long and it's going to be priced lower. So understanding what your ideal client can afford and how long they can get away is important. Mm -hmm. So, but generally speaking, it's, it's a, it's a bigger ticket item. So it's not something that you just want to toss out there. Um, the longer your retreat is, the further in advance you want to start talking about it and you want to start marketing it to your yeah. ideal client. For people that don't have a blog or an email list or a following or a community, like blank slate, could they host a retreat in the first place? Anyone can host a retreat. I think that no matter what you do, what you teach, you can absolutely host a retreat. But you brought up a really solid point. You have to have people, you have to have a following people that would be interested in going on a retreat with you. Again, you're not going to toss your retreat on one of those big marketing websites that have a gazillion retreats. That's not the way you're going to get people on your retreat. You're going to get people on your retreat that know, like, and trust you and want to travel with you. And if you're teaching or sharing, which I encourage people to do on your retreat, they want to learn from you. So starting well in advance and, and growing that following is key so that, you know, and it doesn't have to be a huge list. I know people that have a list of a hundred people and they have a very engaged list. And when they put out a retreat, I mean, you're only talking, depending, you can have five to 10 people and they fill their retreat because those hundred people love what they do. They hang on every word. They follow, you know, they follow you. So starting where you're at and starting to grow your list is key and planning ahead. So it's not something you're going to be throwing out there next week. Hey, you guys, I'm doing a retreat. And then you hear crickets. Nobody wants that, right? Mm -hmm. And what are some ways that you would recommend growing your email list? It, I, I assume it's mostly value-based. For example, like, you know, you're teaching uh, a webinar, right? And then after that, would you uh, pitch for, for email? How would you go about uh, growing your email list? Great question. Well, there's hundreds of ways. A webinar is kind of an advanced technique for a newbie. Having just done one, I'm going to tell you there's a lot of work involved. So the simplest thing, and when I tell people, listen, start where you are right now. Like, where are you? Are you online? Are you on Instagram? Are you on Facebook? Like, where are you hanging out? And understanding where your ideal client, who do 
you want to attract and where are they hanging out? So pick one thing in the very beginning and work on that. You don't want to simultaneously be trying to grow your Instagram, your Facebook, your LinkedIn, your Pinterest. It's just too much. Start with one. And if you're on Facebook, for instance, which I spend a lot of time on Facebook, and we'll get to the list in just a second. But if you're on Facebook, you can have a page, you can have, well, you have your personal profile, right? Which is the first place you should start really growing your know, like, and trust. Because even though it's a personal profile, and you got to be careful with Facebook, you, you don't want to be throwing lots of links to your business up on your personal profile because Facebook wants you to have a business page, uh, you know, for that type of promotion. Um, but you still can talk about your passions and your expertise in a casual way that gets people interested. So you start on your personal profile. You can move that to a page, but lately the thing that's really going to bring your know, like, and trust factor up is to create a Facebook group. So that's one of the first things I have my students do is create a group and start inviting people into the group. The group is typically around a broader topic than maybe your retreat is going to be about. Um, so I have a couple of groups and like one is just about travel. It's just for women. It's just about travel. It's just for fun. But everyone in that group is interested in traveling. So when I post a retreat, don't you think some of those people are going to be interested in my retreat? For sure. So you know, start working on your social media profile. Now, as far as your list is concerned, the very, the easiest way to start growing your list is to create a freebie that people are going to want. And a freebie is, could be a PDF download. It could be a short video lesson. It could be um, an audio lesson. Like you could do a clip of one of your, you know, teaching podcasts where you, you know, give them a, a, an episode of your podcast, whatever it is. And there's lots of ideas around that. The key is how do you get that freebie into people's hands? The first thing you need to do is put it Hopefully you have a website because that would be step one. <laughs> Create even if it's just a simple website, but put it at the very top, what's called above the fold. You don't want people having to scroll for it. You don't want it to be some little teeny thing on the side. You don't want it to be like some annoying pop-up when they're trying to leave the page like, wait, grab my freebie before you leave. You want it to be front and center and be enticing, like ready to create your freedom lifestyle? Grab my freedom lifestyle roadmap, you know, something like that. Or um, like, give me another, for instance, oh, I, I, have, I work with a lot of people that are in the health industry, want to learn how to um, stay fit on a vegan diet grab my 10 tips, whatever. And people enter their name and their email address and boom, they're on your list. Once they're on your list, that's dedicated to that freebie. And there's some little, you know, you have to kind of connect the dots with the technical stuff, but then you're going to send them a sequence of follow-up emails to nurture them so that they get to know, like, and trust you. Does that make sense? Yes, a hundred percent. And thank you for the uh, the practical steps. I, I think our our audience will definitely appreciate all of that. What are and you already covered most tips and some mistakes, like don't hire your mom uh, to be the cook. <laughs> but were there any other top tips or mistakes that uh, you might have left out? Well, I think the biggest mistake I see people make is not having a plan. I mentioned how important that was to me when I started to create, you know, the Bali retreat. 
but I think that that's key for everyone is knowing what state, what steps to take so you don't miss any. I work, one of the things I do besides, you know, having courses that teach people how to plan retreats is I actually do one and done for others. So I work with um, coaches or speakers that want a retreat plan and they just don't want to bother with it. And my conversations, my initial conversations around them usually involve, well, I started planning this retreat. And like I said, I decided that I'm going to charge 5,000 because that just seems like a really good number. And I found this resort and I'm going to host it there. <laughs> you know, like I have all these questions. I'm like, where did you come up with that number? And is it based on, you know, practical things? Because just finding the venue and knowing how much the rooms are, that's just one little piece of the puzzle because a retreat it will likely involve rooms, which I like to include in my retreats. Some people like to have their guests just book their rooms separately, but it's going to involve some of the meals, depending on the center you choose. Like some retreat centers, all the meals are inclusive. Some, I like to have some of my meals while we're out and about or we're exploring or in town. People want to taste the food in a, in a destination. But you're going to have some activities and some tours and and what about your drivers and what about tips and what about entry fees and supplies that you either bring or you buy and what about gifts for your participants i mean it's just crazy how many things that you need to think about when planning a retreat so having a system having a step-by-step -step process is key and then creating a budget that doesn't miss anything before you come up with a price. And I call that my pricing sweet spot. So I get all of the numbers I can find. Some of them you have to estimate. Estimate You won't know all of them, but you want to account for all of them. And I try to overestimate. And then once I look at that, I add in my fee. So what do I mean by that? Well, if you're going to lead a retreat, I surely hope you're going to pay yourself. Now, we're not talking about just what happens to end up as your profit. That's not your payment. You, if you're coaching or teaching or just facilitating an experience, you need to pay yourself. So how do you decide to do that? Like, that, it depends. Do you want to pay yourself, you know, a, a set amount per person? Do you want to say, by the end of this retreat, forgetting any residual profit, I want to make sure that I net $2,000, for instance, you're going to build that into the price. You want to know that ahead of time. And then once you create this budget and you're looking at your pricing sweet spot, you need to anticipate, what if I only have four people? What's, you know, what's a good number to charge? What if I only have six? What if there's 10? You know, now what's a good number? And there's, it's this weird little dance. That's what I call the pricing sweet spot where you have to come up with a price that's going to entice people to register, but also another little tip, a hot tip, you want to leave enough room to offer some discounts and incentives along the way that where you don't actually lose money doing it. So figuring that into your number is key as well. I see. And you mean by like doing early bird prices, some sort of promos, like baking that into to, to your pricing sweet spot, right? Absolutely. There's, there's a number of different strategies, you know, offering, if you have a following, offering them a VIP or first dibs, giving them an incentive and not all incentives have to be monetary. You could offer a, a bonus coaching. Um, one of the retreats I just planned recently for a speaker, he, it was held in Santa Fe and I went and facilitated that. 
he offered a VIP upsell and it added $600 to the registration price, which was already at four grand. And almost every single person bought the upsell. I was a little surprised at that, but it's because they loved this guy. And one of the components of the VIP upsell was one-on-one -on -one coaching with him as well as an intimate lunch during the retreat just with him to kind of talk about you know the coaching components that they were going over and people wanted that time with him like he you know it's just it was so cool he must be some guy some, yeah some he person. you know he actually but it was his first retreat and that's what i'm saying like you can take it he has a following but what he was doing was these seminars that had a couple hundred people and he was charging $400. So he was not convinced that he could host a retreat and charge $4,000 and make a profit. And so that was my job to show him you indeed could do this. And he indeed filled it and he did make a decent profit. Um, and people paid 10 times what every single person that came had been to his seminars at least four or five times. And they were willing to pay 10 times as much to go and have um, a small group setting with him. So that was magical. And, and before we even left Santa Fe, he had already planned the next one, which is being held in September. And he's already sold that out and is doing a second date in the same location, which is another cool thing you can do. You sell one out, you just give yourself a few days break, and then you pop in another one right there. Awesome. You know, I haven't been to a, a retreat yet, but I'm itching. I am absolutely itching to go to one now. <laughs> well, you should. You probably have retreats in your area. Oh, for um, sure. I, I, I'm, I'm certain. I just need to go look for them and also find, you know, my tribe, uh, my community, yeah. People, people. Yeah, maybe you can be hosting a retreat. We'll you have know. to chat about that. Yeah, we will. We will. We definitely will. Uh, what's in the future for you? Well, I have a lot of big dreams and in the future, let me start out with retreats because that's my jam. I actually have a couple of courses. One's called Rock Your Retreats. It's a big signature course for people that really want to spend some time coaching with me and diving deep into their retreat plans. I have a group going on right now for a course called the Ultimate Retreat Planning Roadmap, which is what I was talking about. It teaches you how to lay out the steps and you can like rinse and repeat using that system once you get it all laid out to plan all of your future retreats. So I've got my courses going on, but I'm planning a retreat. I'm going to be putting that together soon and it's going to be in Italy because last fall I spent three months trekking around Italy. And when I say trekking, I was everywhere, up, down, zigzagging, back and forth, just trying to discover Italy. I've always wanted to go there, but I found this fabulous little town called Camogli, and they say it different in Italian, but my Italian is kind of like my Spanish. Um, but this town is so incredible, and I've decided to go ahead and put together a retreat back in Italy for next June. So I've got lots of big dreams, and after that, who knows? I mean, I just keep following my passion, teaching people how to host, or how to put together their retreat plans, hosting my own retreats, following my dreams. Always got to follow your dreams. So we're now to our final three questions. And to be honest, time just flew with this interview. I, I just love the, the flow of conversation that, we, that, that we're sharing, Linda. And yeah, I, I just really want to thank you for providing so much, so much value on the front end. Um, well, I got to say, obviously, obviously, I could talk about this all day long. So thanks for the opportunity to share my passion.
Of course, of course. And for everybody that's listening that want to find out about you and where they can find about uh, more about your retreats and how they can be a part of it or how they can host one, yeah, where, where can people find you? Well, my website is freedomlifestyletoday.com. And right on the front page, like I mentioned, there is a freebie called the Freedom Lifestyle Roadmap. You can grab that right there. But I also have some groups on Facebook. That if you're interested in leading retreats, go join the Retreat Leaders Network. And I know you're going to put the link below in the show notes because that's a really fun group of people that are all interested in leading retreats. Some of them are currently leading retreats, but it's very motivating. You'll get lots of great tips there. Thanks for sharing that. So final three questions. What do you live by daily? Is there a quote or a mantra or something that, you know, kind of guides you or, or you adhere to? Well, I have a lot of quotes I adhere to, but my very favorite one is just carpe diem. Seize the day. And Seize I the tell day. you that. Exactly. So when I was jumping out of the airplane, that's what I was screaming at the top of my lungs because I, you know, that's how I feel. Like when I wake up every day, like what is, what does today hold? What am I going to create today? Because I believe that we choose what to create. So that is definitely a motto I live by. And the next question is pretty unique, I would say in the, the podcast space, but would you ever get carpe diem? tattooed on you or if there was something that you would get tattooed on you that kind of embodies your spirit so to speak <laughs> what, what would that be that's a funny question and i'm going to i'm going to share with you cuz people are like wait a minute like you're old enough to be a grandma and you have a tattoo and i do and my tattoo is the word joy in kanji and i got that tattoo it was kind of on a dare actually <laughs> when my daughter who is covered in tattoos and a friend of mine was like let's go get tattoos and i'm like sure that sounds like a great idea but i contemplated like what in the world would i put on my body that you know after declaring i would never get a tattoo but my big why what fuels me and you know the reason why the carpe diem is important i wouldn't tattoo that but my big why is creating more joy in the world. And I do that by seizing every day. So I decided that, you know, it was small enough. It was, <laughs> it's in a secret place. But yes, I have a tattoo that, has, that says joy. I love how you relate Carpe Diem with joy. You know, the, the fact that you're able to seize a day and then that produces, you know, that, that sort of emotion that, you know, emanates from your being. Absolutely. I think that we all need to think about, you know, what it is we want to create in this world. What is our passion? What is our purpose? And I think they need to align. Too many people teach you, oh, go and create a freedom lifestyle around whatever's trending. And I absolutely don't believe that. You have to be passionate about it in your very core in order to be prosperous doing it. So yeah, 100%. it's all about joy. All about it. And that brings us to our last question. What makes you feel the most alive? Mm. Well, I would have to say the freedom to travel. I love to travel and I've I've always like created travel around my passion for scuba diving, which is another passion of mine. So I never really got over to Europe. That's why I planned to spend 3 months in Italy last fall. But 
And that's why I love retreats so much because retreats can allow me to travel to places that I absolutely want to go to. And then literally my entire trip is paid for. Plus I'm making a profit on top of that. So I would have to say that my greatest passion is travel, traveling the world, seeing new places. But here's the thing, meeting people and understanding what it's like to be them in this fabulous place. Like when I was in Italy, I don't travel like a tourist. I want to know like what it's like to be an Italian and drink at coffee the way Italians drink it, standing at the counter. I want to know all these things. So I'm very inquisitive when I travel. I'm always asking people like, Nick, why are you doing that? What's that about? And teach me and show me. Thank you guys for tuning in to this episode of the Nomad Wolf Podcast. It really means so much that you guys take the time out of your day to spend it with me and our guests. I really hope that today's content here and on the blog helps you on your path. If you're a new listener and like what you hear, feel free to hit the subscribe button. We'll be interviewing more Nomad Wolves and unpacking more secrets and stories that you don't want to miss. I'm going to leave you guys right here, but in the meantime, take care, take care of each other, stay present, and do your best to move forward, even if it's only a little bit. I'll catch you next time. Peace.